Welcome to HealthCom Central, where we unpack theories and frameworks that can help you create more effective communication to improve both health outcomes and health equity. I'm your host, Karen Hilliard, behavioral scientist and longtime communication practitioner. If you're looking for fresh approaches that get real results, you are in the right place. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to all of you HealthCom nerds and HealthCom novices. Welcome to this episode of HealthCom Central. Today we're going to be talking about something that I often talk about at the beginning of my training courses, which is the question, why theory? Why behavioral science? Theory and evidence-based research are foundational to the mission here at HealthCom Central. And today's episode is going to be all about the role that theories and frameworks can play in helping you with your programs, your campaigns, your interventions, so that you can succeed and get greater support and funding. We're going to talk today about five reasons for incorporating theory into your work, something I call the five R's of theory. And if I don't need to convince you about the merits of theory, then I hope at least you'll be able to use the five R's for making the case to colleagues or funders. Now, if you have felt overwhelmed by theory, or if you're kind of skeptical about what it can actually offer you besides just complicating things, I want to talk to you for just a moment, because I was right there with you just a few years ago. To understand why I became such a strong proponent of using theory in practice, it helps to know a little bit about my background. I was not always a healthcom nerd. I had a long career in communication and public relations before I ever took a class in communication theory. And it was even a little while after that before I learned anything about health behavior theory or frameworks specifically. So I came to this as a practitioner through and through. And practitioners are practical. Practitioners do stuff. They don't just sit around and navel gaze or write about theoretical concepts. And I'd had a very applied master's program with no theories or frameworks at all. After that, I was a journalist. Then I was a public relations and marketing executive. So when I left practice to enter a doctoral program, I was actually pretty surprised to find out that there was even all this theory out there. And I wondered where it had come from. To be honest, I wondered whether maybe people were just coming along and trying to attach fancy terms and frameworks to things that were already being done or were just common sense. And I knew absolutely no one out in the real world who was reading communication journals or research. Communication journals themselves would never have convinced me that theories were a good thing. Because, I mean, let's be honest, there is no worse way of communicating anything than the format of a communication journal or any academic journal for that matter. And again, I am saying that as someone who has published in quite a few of them. Typically, academic journals place the most important stuff, the discussion and the conclusion, which is where you learn what the research actually means to the world, at the end, which is exactly the opposite of what you would do as a good communicator. And quite often, academic journals use so much jargon that a lot of very smart people wouldn't be able to make heads or tails out of it. In fact, I could totally go off here on a rant about communication journals because of all disciplines. People in communication should know better and do better, but that is a different podcast. Anyway, to put it mildly, when I first encountered communication theory, I was unfamiliar with it and I was a skeptic. But somewhere along the way, 
I stumbled on this quote from a scholar named Kurt Lewin, whose work I now know and love, by the way. He's sort of your friendly neighborhood father of social psychology. Anyway, his quote said, there's nothing so practical as a good theory. Just mull that over for a second. What does that mean? How is it that theory can be practical? Well, I started to sort of get what he was saying when I shifted my focus from communication in general to health communication. Because in health communication, some practitioners actually were using theory. And in public health in general, there's just a much better appreciation of how theory can actually help practitioners do their jobs better. As I began to view communication through a public health lens, I could really see the aspects of behavioral science and behavioral science theory that could help inform my work. I got much more comfortable with what was out there, how to layer frameworks together, how to use them in research design, how to apply them to campaigns and interventions. Now, 15 years later, I am a huge evangelist for behavioral science theory and frameworks, how they can improve outcomes and how they can make a practitioner's life so much easier. And that's why we're talking about this today, because I want you to know about it too and be able to make the case to others. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The five R's, five reasons to make the case for using theory in your work. What are the five R's? Okay, well, it's five words, research, recipes, replication, reworking, and real-world implications. So let's talk about each of them. The first R is research. All of us are working in the research-based world of public health. So if our science is evidence-based, don't you think our communication outreach and our behavioral interventions should be too? I mean, when you tap into theories and frameworks, by their nature, they are typically based on research. And there's a great likelihood that they've been tested using the scientific method or some systematic or rigorous way. And you may find that they've also been used in previous interventions that you can look to for further evidence. So even if a theoretic framework is relatively new, it is typically grounded in some prior research or it builds on many years of research and observation. That is not to say that a conceptual framework couldn't spring fully formed from someone's brain. I'm sure that happens all the time. But usually, even something that's really innovative is going to be based on at least the qualitative data of lived experience, if not also the formal research of the person or the team who first proposes it. But it's a virtuous cycle. Theory is based on research, and research tests and reinforces theory. Evidence-based theory is the scaffolding every public health intervention should rest on. Let's move now to the second of the five R's, which is recipes. When we approach changing a health behavior and getting somebody to engage in a new behavior that they've never engaged in before, think about all the different factors that could go into that. The classic communication inputs, of course, the source, the message, the channel, and then the receiver or the audience and all of the internal and external factors that affect their decision making. And then, of course, there are all the different outcomes that can result. The relative mix of these things is like a recipe. And that's really all theory is. It's a recipe list of ingredients and instructions 
that predict a particular result. With a recipe, you start with a few essential components. So, you know, if we're talking about cooking here, maybe you start with flour, water, salt, and depending on what you add and how you cook it, you might end up with a pie crust or a loaf of bread. Add some other stuff and maybe you'll have a cake. You could wing it and cook up something from scratch, but if you're looking for a specific final result, if you want to know going into things what result you're likely to get, you'll be far more confident that you'll get that result if you begin with the structure of a recipe. For communicators, theoretic frameworks give us the recipe, the essential components and ways to combine them. And just like in cooking, theory helps us to get the ingredients and the proportions right, to do everything in the right order for the right amount of time, using the right tools and the right process. And just like a recipe can prevent you from throwing out that souffle that you tried to make, having a theoretic framework for your intervention prevents you from wasting resources and winding up with an intervention that flops. For example, even a very well-crafted message might fail if it was reaching people who were not yet ready to make a change in their behavior. But let's say you pulled in a framework into your planning, like the trans-theoretical model, also known as the stages of change. It would tell you that people actually approach behavior change at different paces. You have to segment them based on their readiness for change, meet them where they are, and move them toward change one step at a time, one stage at a time, which means that you probably need a different message for the person in the contemplation stage than in the action stage. In this case, as in so many others, theory can give us a recipe that we would be far less likely to figure out at first on our own. Theory also enables a critical step in the scientific process, which is the third R in this list, replication. Replication helps us make sure that our outcome is not a fluke, that if we combine the same ingredients under similar conditions, we should get a similar result. That is critically important because we don't wanna be reinventing the wheel every time. In public health, we need to have programs and interventions that can be replicated with some fidelity or faithfulness across different population groups. But replication is only possible if we have a systematic way to do it. Theory can provide that because theories and frameworks name and operationalize each of the components of our public health recipe. So we can look to past research on a theory to see what was measured and how, which independent variables or causes led to which dependent variables or effects. And if we're talking with another researcher or another practitioner, or we're looking for information online to understand the history of related interventions, we can be sure that we're talking the same language if we have common names for these components or constructs or variables and that is one of the things that theory gives us. However, sometimes a framework that worked really well for some groups or circumstances does not work across all situations. Turning for a moment back to cooking, some recipes, you might make them and taste it and find that, oh, hey, you know, for the people I'm serving, this is going to need more salt. Or maybe the recipe worked great when you lived in Georgia, but now that you're in Colorado, where the altitude is different, you need to rework some things. Even great recipes 
sometimes need to be adjusted. Which brings us to the fourth R, which is reworking. We have to rework things constantly in public health to adjust to changing situations and to meet people where they are. Theory gives us the ability to approach that reworking in a systematic way. Going back for a moment to the example I mentioned earlier, maybe you're using the trans-theoretical model and you're developing different messages for people at different stages of behavior change, but you find that with a certain target audience, what their peers are doing is incredibly influential to their behavior decisions. So you rework your intervention and you're gonna layer the stages of change model with an approach that involves social norms or social cognitive theory, a small addition or adjustment that can help, but you have a systematic way to do it. Now, some of you may be saying, she's mentioned all of these theories and I really don't know much about any of them. Do not worry. Remember, this podcast is for both HealthCom nerds and HealthCom novices. I've got links in the episode notes and we're gonna be unpacking many of these theories in future episodes. I want you to be conversant in them, and I have been there. I know how hard it is to become familiar with these when you're approaching them as a newcomer. All right, so we've got the fifth and final R coming up here for why theory is so important. And I think this one may be the most important for many of you, and that is real-world implications. If you want to design and implement a public health program, you have to gain the buy-in of your leadership and maybe the buy-in of funding sources as well. Using a proven theory or framework is a great way to do that. If you put it in your proposal, it will give confidence to your stakeholders that you've done your homework and that you know what you're doing. They will actually believe that the predictions you're making about cause and effect have a high likelihood of being accurate. Plus, Because you've approached it systematically, you can use that theory to help you evaluate. That means that you'll be able to isolate and identify the reasons for your success so it can be replicated. And if you don't accomplish your objectives, theory can be used to help you determine what went wrong and why so that you don't repeat your mistakes in the future. So now you know five reasons that theory can help you in practice. Research recipes, replication, reworking, and real-world implications. As public health practitioners, if we're not using some of these frameworks, then we're really kind of flying by the seat of our pants. And that is not what funders want to hear. It's not what your boss wants to hear. It's not what your stakeholders or your other constituents want to hear. They want to know that you're investing time and resources into something that has the highest possible likelihood of achieving your objectives whether those objectives are changing behaviors, improving health outcomes, increasing health equity, lowering costs, or simply making your agency or your coworkers or your boss look good. So next time someone scoffs at theory, you've got five reasons you can cite to make the case for why you're basing your intervention or campaign or initiative on theory. For some of you, this may be a refresher from college or grad school, but I know for other people, it is all new because you're brand new to this field. Whatever your background, please know that HealthCom Central is not just committed to theory and science-based best practices, but to really unpacking them in ways that are both accessible and practical for everyone. 
We do it in our trainings, and that's what we're going to be doing in these podcast episodes. If you have ever wondered, how should I incorporate behavioral economics or the socio-ecological model into my work? Or what is social marketing? This is the place to find out. If you want to take a deeper dive into health equity or social determinants of health, we will be prioritizing those things here. And if you just want to know how to write an effective message or the best way to develop an infographic, you can stay tuned for that too. We've also got some current issues on tap, like our upcoming episode on anti-science bias and hostile audiences, something I know many of you have been dealing with. We will also have free resources available to you, downloadable worksheets and job aids and more coming soon. To be sure that you don't miss any of our episodes, please go right now and subscribe to HealthCom Central. And please leave a review so that more people will know we're here. Thank you so much again for joining us today at HealthCom Central. You can look for another episode next week. Till then, be well, stay safe, and stay science-based. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment now to leave a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe to HealthCom Central on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have friends and colleagues who should be part of our community, please share the link.